Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, the half-blind Ron Kolick, right here on Tojinet and Parax Radio with Ghost Chronicles International. And my co-host, all the way from the land of the Red Dragon, the platinum standard in ghost hunting, Mr. Steve Parsons. <clears throat> hey, I got described as charismatic this week. Really? What little kid said that? <laughs> Don't start. <laughs> yeah, I went and had my eyes examined, so I'm half blind now. I can't see. Oh, can't see no. Well, that's good because you can't see the price of gasoline. <laughs> that's true. I can't see the computer very clearly and everything. So anyway, amazing stuff. But I did get to talk to the eye doctor all about uh, sight and what we see and what we really don't see. <laughs> so yeah, we've we brought it up before, I believe, haven't we, on the show, Steve? Well, yes. And, of course, uh, you're aware that uh, Cal Cooper and myself are just about to start writing Paravision, our next book. There you go. There you go. Which explores that, that subject in, in some depth. Funny, interesting, you mentioned computer um, that you can't see because... I I had a book delivery during the week from the US of A. Um, our, our back US in the 1980s. Well, I don't think there were any other ones. Uh-huh. Uh, back in the 1980s, there was uh, uh, wait, wait. Any... after the war. After the war, right in in uh, occupied Japan, or shortly after, they used to make uh, a lot of products and call them USA, USA batteries and USA thing, but they were made in Japan. So yeah, there's one, one USA carry on. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> a ways back in the eighties, there was, uh, up, up near where I, uh, used to live in Cheshire, where I was born, um, in that very County though, there was, um, a series of weird events that took place with the computer. And basically, 85 actually, yeah. Basically, what happened was, um, they had an old, uh, non internet connected computer because the internet didn't exist back then. And uh, it was, a, I think, it was a BBC Model B computer, micro computer. Um, and messages started appearing on the screen that purported to be from a cleric um, in the period of the Tudors. Um, So he was writing in Tudor times and the messages were appearing on a computer screen. Now, later on, um, so those messages were from the 1500s. um, And later on, uh, a second set of communicators came through i think from the 23rd century so still way in our future by uh, a group of 
researchers who called themselves Timestream. And they were communicating on this uh, computer as well. Now, the case became known as uh, a book was published way back. Very few copies of it of the first edition were ever printed. And now those books, those those paperbacks command over 900 pounds. Um, and they're incredibly difficult to get. But there's been a, a, a resurgence of interest in the case. Probably, you know, it, it appeared on YouTube and it's been um, doing the rounds on the Internet. And quite recently, a second edition of the book, The Vertical Plane, was published in the USA. And it's been expanded upon and new bits have been put into it. And so I ordered myself a copy, which I'm currently working through now. Why, why I'm particularly interested in it is one of the protagonists, there was um, a gentleman, his name was Ken Webster. He wrote the book later. The oh, he did. Ah. And at the, he was uh, one, of the, one of the ones that got the original messages, right? That's right, on his yeah. computer. Uh, now, um, his close friend at the time was someone who's been on this show. No and way. Is a, and is a friend of mine. No way. Uh, Deb Zokes. Yeah, she's been on our show. Yes, she has. Now, she was she was there when it all took place. Uh, and is mentioned throughout the book. Uh, she you knows she was closely involved with the with the whole phenomena, the whole mm. case. Now, Debs uh, doesn't really um, talk about it. Mm-hmm. She doesn't really, you know, she wouldn't come on the show now and talk about the vertical plane case. No, it's just. Um, but wait a minute. I thought you said she's been on our show. She has been on our show, but not talking about the vertical plane. Oh, she wouldn't talk about the, Oh, wow, that's interesting. Well, we never asked her about it. We were talking about something else. Oh. Um, and so we, when I finished the book, the new edition, mm-hmm. um, which at the moment is only available in in America. Oddly enough. Oddly enough, even though it's a British book, it's a British publication, but the second edition is published in America by an American publisher. Um, you can find it on Amazon. It's about $18. Um, it's called The Vertical Plane by Ken Webster. And if anybody's interested, and it's a fascinating, fascinating case. It's, been, it's quite contentious because there have been language analysts who've looked at the Tudor, uh, the use of language on the mm-hmm. computer, you know, on the in the messages, and then compared that to Tudor English at the time and said, some experts have said, yes, it's correct. And others have said, no, there are discrepancies. And clearly this is a modern interpretation of the Tudor language. Um, so I think, yeah, I'll plow on through the book and then we can um, maybe get Cal on as well, because Cal's another one who's fascinated by the case. Mm. And Cal being Cal has a signed by Debs and Ken first edition of the vertical plane, which you cannot get for love nor money. Hmm. But I also, I also have a copy as well. Mine's not, mine's not signed. Now he was a school teacher, so I he try. does he does have some knowledge of 
the language and everything. I mean, he's not like a I'm not well. I got to be careful what I say. It's not a blue collar worker where he wouldn't necessarily be familiar with. Uh, well, you know, the language, but he went to college or uh, whatever you right. call it. Well, there, there's there's been a number of television documentaries that have uh, been been done on this on this particular case. Uh, the first I remember was um, oh, I think it was called The Unexplained by Michael Aspel or. Mm-hmm. Um, which was shown on British television. And there's currently a, about a 40 minute documentary doing the rounds on YouTube at the present. Uh, so people might want to go and check out the details. Um, but as I said, there have been ex language experts who've looked at the language used by the Tudor uh, cleric who gives his name and lots of details, which, you know, in some cases have checked out. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, people have contested the language. The skeptics have said that, you know, it's not correct Tudor English. And others There's said, always going to be skeptics anyways, you know that. And other, other scholars have said, no, it's actually, you know, colloquially correct Tudor English. So, uh, but I say the bizarre twist in it is, of course, uh, when the Tudor messages stopped, then the time stream messages started from the 23rd century. Hmm. Um, so I'll plow on through the book. You might want to grab yourself a copy too. We'll get Cal on the show in a couple of weeks time. And uh, why don't I get Ken? Huh? Why don't I get Ken Webster? Oh, whatever his name is. Ken, right? Uh, because they, neither of them are uh, very happy to talk about it. As I understand well, if he has a book, I'm sure he's more than willing to talk about it. I don't think he published the second edition. Anyway, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we can we can come back to this one, but I just want to give people a heads up that the book is available now, the new mm-hmm. second edition. And people, you know, there has been a lot of people hunting down the first edition, and there was a reprint to the first edition because I think there were only ever about three or four hundred of the first pub, the first print run. Mm-hmm. Um, then it was reprinted, and you know, to find them now. Uh, you know they're just paperbacks uh but to find them it they are like you know rocking horse uh on christmas morning mm-hmm. and they command very big money when they when they do turn up mm, intriguing most of them actually turn up in charity shops and thrift stores. Yeah, i was just gonna say that yeah okay, you know, yeah so it's always worth keeping sadly i'm going to one a, li- a, a library uh, because so. because you know most people you know, they don't really look at the paperbacks, do they? No, they don't. I and in amongst the paperbacks, you know, if you find a copy of the Vertical Plane from, uh, I think it's 86. Even, yeah, or even Cal's book. <laughs> well, you might find a copy of Cal's book as well. <laughs> was that, I mean, that was um, a couple hundred quid when last I looked. Yeah. Because there's not many of them about. I gave, I gave away so many of them too. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we'll leave we'll, them we'll, here. We'll we'll come back to uh, the vertical plane yes, in, we will. in a future edition and in a future show upcoming soon. Do you remember that our Norwegian friend Taria? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Taria is going to come, be coming back in April. Um, to he really, he's coming back after the way I treated him. Yeah, after, after your terrible pronunciation of his name as well. And and those terrible questions I asked too. So Yeah, well, you get a chance to ask some more. So he's coming back on April the 6th. Ah, excellent. 
to um, because you know he's just published his book, which is the short history of nearly everything paranormal, which ah. has just won the Parapsychological Association Book Award, and um, we it's such a, a useful book that uh, we we barely scratched the surface of it last time. Okay. So uh, we we said we he was on in was it back in? Um, Don't ask me. It's all a blur. When you're at my age, Steve, it all goes. Yeah, it was about four or five months ago, but no, it wasn't that long ago. Um, But anyway, so we we are part two with Taria. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, it's that's excellent. So uh, okay, very good, good stuff to look forward to. Coming stuff to look forward to. And, and, and by course, the way, spirit quest. Because the flights are booked now. Coming back. Uh-huh. Coming back. Uh, so moving on. Uh, World War Three and um, COVID we, uh, variants yeah. permitting. Yes. Uh, <laughs> we, want to, we want to think. Uh, we actually got the tip on this from uh, one of our Patreon uh, subscribers. Uh, and uh, we listened to them, and they asked us to find out more information of what we thought of this case, and, uh, and that's how the ball started rolling on it. And uh, so we want to thank our Patreon. I think it was – oh, I'm not, I can't say it because I'll screw up his name, and you know that. Uh, but anyways, we do want to thank him for uh, leading, leading us to the story, and you can become a Patreon member too, uh, Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon and get access to a lot of different things, including the new Ghost Chronicles, well, the new old Ghost Chronicles magazine, but never published before. Uh, everybody gets a free copy of that one. So did you peruse it at all? The new I magazine? did peruse it. It's, it's rather good. There's Not a bad, very uh, good thing about the Civil War ghosts and um, British, British Civil Wars as well. Yeah, right. By you, I believe. I believe so. Mm-hmm. Oh, bit bit more news while we're doing the news. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, had to say, I've been, been running a series of emails and phone calls the last week um, from a Japanese production company who want me to uh-huh. go and do some filming with them. And we oh. do like working with the Japanese. Oh, we yeah. love the Japanese. They are my favorites to work for. Oh, me too. <laughs> so if you need a, a gopher, by the way, Steve, uh, you know, feel free. I'm a good gopher. <laughs> yeah, it's a long way to go f- for gophering. <laughs> <laughs> as long as the ends are fine. <laughs> anyway, moving on again. Yes. Uh, oh, we do want it. We had a, we had a sad passing uh, this past uh week i believe well this month anyways of somebody who has been on the show and uh you know him better than i do uh steve uh and we're talking about billy um yeah do you know i billy roberts right really caught me by surprise last week yeah um in fact at first when i when i first started to see the messages Mm -hmm. i i didn't say anything and because well I wasn't. You really were shocked because, well, no, I, I thought it might have been a spoof at first. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought maybe somebody's just playing a prank um, on social media um, because there was nothing official being said on any right. of the, um, you know, by by friends or family. It just seemed to burst out of nowhere on social media. But but sadly, yeah, 
Billy's uh, no longer with us. It shows you how short life is. It, he's 70, he was 71. Um, worked with him on was he really? Yeah. Huh. Worked with him on a number of occasions. Um, he's been on the show yep. uh, so, uh, on, on, uh, periodically. And uh, local lad from up my neck of the woods. Um, also a mutual friend of Derek, Derek Akoris, who, who we lost at the start of I know. 2020. That one shook you too. I mean, shocked you. Well, yeah, because, you know, we, we knew Derek had a, you know, bad case of influenza mm-hmm. but then but he you know he was still on social media he was still saying oh you know i was still feeling a little bit you know run down and then no more derek no it's a shame oh, there we are life so, is life is fleeting what is your thought i mean derek's still alive on facebook which oh yeah what 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 is well, that page you're, you're familiar with the page i'm sure steve right? oh yeah well it's actually run by his wife so I really can't say anything bad about it. No, I mean Gwen um, still still sort of keeps Derek's um, memory. Oh, nope, um, that's good. That's good. Yeah. So. I wasn't I wasn't sure who was actually running it, and I just want to make sure that uh, nobody was uh, no, it's all a, above board. Taking advantage so of these perfectly perfectly above board. All right, then that's good. Then unlike that. unlike the Harry Price social media page <laughs> and. Albert Einstein's social media page and Jimi Hendrix's social media page. You're going to take over my page when I die? Uh, no, I think we'll just leave it. <laughs> Let it rot. <laughs> yeah, bury it. As quickly as possible. Yeah. <laughs> Give we'll it to do, the dog. <laughs> we'll, we'll do a Soviet style. Um, we'll just erase it. Yeah, Never go. happened. Never, Never existed. Happened. Never existed. Never was. Yeah. That's it. The best way. It's it's anyway. like mine, like mine. No, no. So Which... I, I, I just one quick touch on back and I know we, 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 we moved on to it, but I did have a question. I just came to me again. Was that case ever investigated locally by any particular uh, paranormal group or anything? Oh, no, no. What the first complaint? No, um, because it wasn't considered to be i mean it's not your classic paranormal um or you know there was no ghost right um well so according to this this article i read there were some paranormal activity that was yeah but it was primarily a communication event so Mm -hmm. um i mean they you know they they kept the messages they documented it they they you know but no it wasn't um it wasn't looked at by third parties at the time. I mean, now, in that, yeah, the local ghost hunters or whatever didn't go around there, the local paranormal investigators. So you um, have been investigating for quite a while, I know. Steve. I know. As, I as know. well as well as myself. And um, one of the things that, according to this article, uh, that occurred was that, that the tat, cat tens were stacked in a pyramid. Uh, and have you known any cases where there has been that type of activity? I'm not asking to, re- to comment on this particular one, but on well, there was other- that famous there was that famous documentary um, took place in the New York Library where all the books were stacked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 um, 
Well, yeah. I mean, the, the, there are poltergeist cases where objects have been arranged, balanced, or stacked in peculiar ways. Um, you know, that it's very rare. Um, you know, it's, it's compared to a port or disports, um, object rearrangement does ha- does take place. I've I've looked at two or three cases where um, it was said to be happening. Never saw an example of it. I've seen photographs of um, where it's supposed to have taken place. You know, where people have taken pictures of the rearranged or peculiarly balanced objects. Right. Uh, but I personally have never encountered um, a situation where um, I've I've seen it. Um, yeah. I've investigated cases where, as I said, where it's supposed to have taken place, but mm-hmm. I've never seen any example of it actually happening. I've seen actually, objects moving and, uh, yeah. you know, reporting and being thrown about, but that's not the same thing. There has been some cases that I worked with, and especially in my early days, uh, when it was the paranormal wasn't as famous as it is now and people weren't really before Zach. Yeah. No, before the ghost (laughs) way back then. Uh the uh when the restaurant when the when the restaurant of course is is one of those things this occurred and this actually occurred even before it was the when the restaurant when it was the uh Riviera. And uh, there is, uh, if you go on my website, anyghostproject.com, on, on the photographs page, I believe we do, no, on, on one of the case pages or something, I don't know. But on that site somewhere is the photograph of uh, boxes that are, st- are stacked from wall to wall in the air, which is a, a pretty unique thing, and especially since it's over a, uh, a stairwell. And uh, that's the same place where silverware would be, uh, you know, box and, and things would end up being crossed. They would set the play, t- uh, play settings when they came in, they would be crossed. And the chairs would be turned around facing the windows. And, oh, and those, some, it, sorry, I'm just going to cut in. There was some breaking news. Yes. Um, just breaking on the BBC news at the moment. Your former Secretary of State, Madeleine Albright, just died. That's not, that's old. Sorry. It's new here. It's new here. Okay. It's just been said breaking news. No, it's not breaking. It's old. <laughs> well, she I was knew it uh, over an hour ago. <laughs> well, she was 84. Yes, she was. She was, yeah. Secretary of State under the Clinton administration. Close, but no cigar. Hmm. Almost breaking news. Well, it, it's breaking in the UK, but yeah, old news here. And yet we're four hours ahead of you. We should have known, like, I know. <laughs> you know, you know that's the, the amazing thing that we ended up talking about that. And uh, I had uh, Dr. Kim Lawson on, who's a, a psychologist on the show on Monday. And we ended up talking about time because of that fascinating talk you and I talked about, about, uh, you know, oh, time my, that, and experience. That hurt my head. That absolutely hurt my head. Oh, God, it still boggles my mind now. I think, and I couldn't let it, I mean, it's just, it's simply amazing. And uh, Lou has no concept of it. He just doesn't want to accept that it's the way it is. <laughs> you know. Yeah, hasn't I mean, your Congress just voted to accept permanent um, daylight like savings? Yes, yes. So does that mean that you're going to be always four hours behind or five hours or six hours? I don't understand it. 
Uh, are you on daylight saving times yet? No. We okay, switch. So, we switch. So you are. The weekend. How many hours in it right now? We're four. Four now. But we switch on the weekend. So yeah, then you will be five. But if you go to permanent, then we'll for half a year we'll be four, and the other half of the year we'll be five. Yeah, yeah, you'll be screwed up. We'll be always instead instead of just a four two weeks every you know I don't twice know. a year. I have no idea. But then our parliaments are talking about the same thing as well. But you know, I mean, that's the interesting thing because we call it double summertime. <laughs> you know, we really do. Uh, when you talk about time, it, it's you know, in reality, to human experience, it's what it really is. Because you are in our future, in reality, because, for instance, you experience midnight, yeah, before we do. Well, You've already experienced moment, that. You've already the, experienced the, that. We have not experienced this. Yeah, so the clock you, here says that, you know, it's 25 after 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. And it's here dark. it says it's 6.25. Yeah. It's dark, you know. Right here. Everybody around is starting to go to bed. Um, you know, it's the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, your Congress have just arbitrarily, for a whole continent, changed the clocks. Which is not a bad idea because, believe it or not, we'd still have cities within yeah. states yeah, that but, have that don't do daylight saving time. Yeah, but the idea that a nation can just simply add a stroke—we did it in the 18th century with uh, railway time. We've done it before uh, too, by the way. Yeah, but you can just arbitrarily now, you know, the birds don't know what time it is. They don't. Our body doesn't know what time it is. Our body adjusts. You know, you know what it's like uh, twice a year. You, you, you know, you take a couple of days and you get used to the clock change. But reality, um, uh, they are saying that that's not exactly true. That that if we maintain the same time all year round, it's actually better for our body, mind, body and mind. Uh, that uh, there are certain functions, I guess, that are that are uh, well, like internal time for us. Well, you know, I was. We'll come back to this after the break because I I discovered something interesting about oh, cool. uh, about time. We can't uh, let time go, can we? <laughs> no, we just can't, can we? But we we're, we're going to have to because the clock we're running is out of it, and we've <laughs> we've running out of the end of part one. So okay. uh, I I I haven't got time to start talking about time. Well, you just make But time. we do have time to thank our Patreons and our sponsors. We do. We want to thank our sponsors, Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrick Street, Methuen, Massachusetts, the Gallant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street, North Andover, Massachusetts, our super-duper good friends on Ghost Chronicles Radio, on Patreon, and the Dead Air Society. And, uh, yeah, so that's it. And we'll be right back, if we have time, uh, after the messages. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Do you have a paranormal event? 
book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk gooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Parrax family. Welcome back to the second half of the first part of the show that's all about the land that time forgot. With your host, New England's own Van Helsing, bloody, 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 blah. Bloody, bloody, bloody. What kind of talk is that? Bloody, bloody, bloody. Show a little respect, will you? Bloody, 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 bloody. Anyway, this time thing. Um, yes. I've forgotten all what I was going to say now. Oh, yeah. Talk about um, that. <laughs> you know how we go to bed? You know, our body clock says, oh, it's time for bed and we'll go to bed at whatever time, you know, 11, 11 p.m. midnight. We'll yeah, get up at 6 a.m. and go to work and whatever. Um, that's not normal, apparently, because scientists have discovered something that was quite popular up until the 17th century. Um, and then it kind of faded out as we got to the industrial era. and. Um, which was something we we would we would go to bed much earlier in the evening. Um, so around about the time it went dark, we would go to bed, mm-hmm. and we would we would wake up. Uh, our body clock, because they didn't have alarm clocks back then, oh. our body clock would wake us at about what midnight, one a.m. And we would get up and we would, you know, you would you would write in your journal or you would talk to the family or you would even go and visit friends and, um, you know, uh, acquaintances, business colleagues. And then you would return, return home at about 3 a.m. and have what was called the second sleep. And the, these two sleeps were divided as either the the uh, first sleep or small sleep and then the second or big sleep mm-hmm. and that was the way it was for millennia apparently until the industrial revolution and the needs of industry dictated by the clock um, and employers determined that you will start work at this particular time and you will work for 12 hours or 10 hours or eight hours and then you will you will go home 
And so our, our body clocks have adapted to a relatively new system of feeling tired late at night and going to bed and getting up in the morning and having one sleep throughout the night. Really? Yep. Absolutely factual as well. They looked at, um, you know, archeolo- um, uh, documentary evidence for these. Samuel Pepys talks about it in his diaries, you know, how he, he would get up and then he would uh, go to visit, you know, uh, the king or uh, one of the ministers that he was acquainted with or other acquaintances. Uh, they would have uh, a drink and a light, you know, light, light bite to eat. And then they would retire, return home and retire back to bed. Mm. And they called it, you know, little sleep and big sleep or first sleep and second sleep. And it's documented, you know, earlier on, it's documented in the Roman era too, that, you know, we would have this, uh, the, you know, our nighttime was was um, divided into two sleep periods with a waking period in the middle. Um, <laughs> rather than the classic, oh, I need my eight well, hours. The older you get, the more waking periods you get. Well, you hear people say, you know, <laughs> oh, I don't function unless I've had my eight hours. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, unless I've had my full eight hours. And uh, but that's actually not how we we are designed. We are designed to, and there are people I know. You know, people are they're now treated as insomniacs because they wake up in the middle of the night for two or three hours, mm. um, and they can't get back to sleep. There's actually a uh, I was going to call it a disease, but it's really not a disease. It's a uh, Oh, what is it like a, a trauma? Uh, it's for blind people because blind people can't see light or dark. Well, I mean, those that are truly blind, totally blind. Uh, and so they have a problem because of that, because our body works that way to, to light and darkness. As far as for sleeping and stuff. Well, it does. I mean, it, it, if you've been awake all night. Uh, you'll know because it's happened to me. Oh, yes. plenty, plenty <laughs> of For some reason, you your mind won't switch off and you find yourself awake or you just, you know, you're just on a roll and you just keep going. And then come come the sunrise, all of a sudden, all the tiredness melts away. Yes, that's uh, weird. It's like you get your second uh, wind. And it's, we'd it's, like to because, it. it's because of the way we, we our bodies respond to light. Mm-hmm. Um, we produce different chemicals in response to bright light. And that's why one of the problems that some scientists are saying now, because people are claiming that they can't sleep at night. Mm-hmm. And in fact, many of the uh, computer manufacturers, Apple, uh, smartphone manufacturers, including Apple and Samsung, uh, now include options for you to change the dark background screen. color of your screen. No, dark not dark screen, screen not dark screen, uh, to filter out blue light. And you can uh, buy glasses that filter out blue uh, or reduce yeah, but they the also have a dark screen thing too, which is, yeah, that, I that's find great a, reason. Uh, it is, helpful. it is, it is more, um, eye friendly. Yeah. Um, but you can buy, uh, blue blocker glasses and, mm. uh, the phones themselves or the tablets and computers will reduce the amount of blue light because they've determined, scientists have determined that 
if our if if our brain if our eyes are subjected to an excessive amount of blue um the brain produces in response to that chemicals endorphins which keep us awake hmm. and so that's why we wake up that's why we feel awake and alert when the sun comes up because you know even on a cloudy day there is a lot of ultraviolet right. there's a lot of blue uh, light around um but it's not so good when your phone screen is sort of flooding your eyes with blue light because yes. your brain is going hey i'm wide awake here sure. so uh, so yeah we're still learning so much about sleep and when i read this thing about the big sleep and the little sleep and you know the the waking period in the middle of the night i, I then started thinking about many of the early apparitional encounters that are described in the literature from the 1600s and 1700s, 1800s, from the likes of Joseph Cotton and John Aubrey and, uh, and others. And realising that we, our experiences of the paranormal have changed in the last 100, 150 years. But our body clocks have changed. We don't live in a world of darkness anymore. We don't live in this. And, and we have adapted to one sleep cycle. You're right, because when you think about it, Steve, I mean, there is so much light in the world. Now, for instance, if you want to see a comet or something like that, uh, a lot of times we can't see it or rather than lights right. where we are because there is so much light from cities and, and streets yep. and everything else well what they're starting to do around i live in what's called a designated dark sky area of wales oh uh, that's kind of cool and one of the things that is regulated now is things like street lighting and external house lighting cannot um you have to design the lighting so that there is there is minimizes the amount of uplighting into the atmosphere hmm. because because pe because for for decades you know we can go out because we we live it you know sort of out of town we can go out at, out into the garden on a clear night and we can see the milky way and you know countless stars which you can't see if you go into cities or towns because right. the, the the ambient skylighting is just too bright even when it appears dark so what they've done here in the uk is they've designated these what are called dark sky areas um, and we live in one and that means that um, for example um, during the winter this year they they changed all of the street lighting to um led yes. but also but also the uh, light units themselves they light the roadway but, but not the sky and also not the buildings uh so whereas if you had a, a lamp like standard yeah. Yeah. if you had a lamp standard outside of the house you, it would you know it would light up the garden it would light up the front of the property um it would shine through the windows because it was it was you know in every direction but in addition to the LED lighting, which um, is more energy efficient, that's one of the, you know that's one of the benefits of doing it. Um, they've designed the reflectors and the shrouds around the lights so that there is very you know a minimal amount of scatter, so that the light 
pa- uh, the light pools are actually focused onto the road and just the road. Um, you know, so uh, you don't get this this floodlighting effect any longer. And they've been going round to farms with floodlights and some of the industrial um, units that are in the town and having making them um, change their outside security lighting for this uh, low scatter lighting in order to preserve and protect the dark skies. Mm. But we, uh, you know, going back to the apparitions and, and the paranormal side of it, you know, we, if we go back to even my, my grandparents' childhood, um, you know, they lived in a world where at night it was predominantly dark. We live in a 24-7, you know, society. I look out the window, we live high up, you know, in a rural area. And yet there is a myriad of lights on the horizon, an absolute myriad of them. Um, we've got lights on the television um, antenna um, on the mountains. We've got lights on the farms. We've got all the street lighting in the town, in the village, and, you know, <coughs> further down the hill. And we can see the distant town, uh, street lighting. You know, we are just, you know, if you live in a city, it's never dark. We never see darkness and we don't, we're not used to darkness anymore. You know, our, our generation have never lived in a dark world like, you know, out in the Kalahari or, um, you know, uh, up in Alaska where there are, no people no towns no no street lighting no building illuminations no you know big neon signs in your face no 24 7 drive-through fast food places or garages petrol gas stations yeah i know that's that's i mean that's always you know like hunters will always tell you that or or people but to the best of my knowledge they they really yeah yeah, but to the best of my knowledge, I don't think anybody's actually researched that as a potential uh, factor in the change. You know, many people, you know, have noticed that we we don't see the same apparitions, or we don't see apparitions in the same way or with the same frequency that they were reported a hundred years ago. The nature of apparitions has changed. Yeah. Um, so you have been investigating and, and you're well aware of it, so I wanted to actually ask you this in this regards to it, is that uh, apparitions, are they seen predominantly at night? And yes. could this be the, the cause of it? Or, or well, is, that's what is I was something... thinking about, this idea of, um, you know, sleeping, waking, sleeping, uh, being more in tune with with our environment i don't mean mm-hmm. in an ecological way you know not not uh, you know not like uh, as eco warriors but more in tune with the the cycles of the sun um and you know the day and the night um and our ancestors obviously were you know they they it's 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 well recorded well documented uh, and i imagine that our you know our distant ancestors before writing you know, they didn't have the benefit of lighting. They went to bed when it was dark. They got up when, you know, when the sun came up, mm-hmm. um, which meant in winter they would sleep longer than they did in the summer, of course. Um, but I don't, 
I was, I was. The interesting you know, thing about that, Steve, when you think about it, is that in the winter time they they would do, I would think, less if they did their jobs properly, because in the summertime, in the light times, in the the wing is when they did all their work. They, you know, raised the crops, they tended to the the animals, they chopped the wood for the winter, they did all those things that. They needed to kill the the when hunting and got and then when the winter came, there there wasn't as much of that to do. There were no crops to plant. It's interesting you say that because um, a few years ago, uh, probably about a decade ago, um, and as you probably see, you, you're probably aware, you may even have seen on the news every midsummer solstice, everybody goes to Stonehenge, all the hippies oh, yes. and the and the lot, yeah. Mm-hmm. To witness the sunrise, and yet archaeologists have determined um, that actually um, Stonehenge and many of the ancient monuments that exist, the the circles and the standing stones that that are in this country, and and there are some in North America too. Oh, yeah. They've always assumed and presumed that they were orientated for the midsummer solstice um, rather than the midwinter solstice where everything would be switched around 180 degrees. Mm -hmm. But then they started to look at the patterns of life and some uh, archaeosociologists, archaeoanthropologists and others said, hang on a minute, these are not only aligned to the midwinter solstices, but practically speaking, uh, the, the population who were, you know, farming, hunting, but predominantly farming, um, would have just been simply too busy in the summer to stop what they were doing and have a big celebration just mm-hmm. because it was midsummer. But in the winter, they it was a much more important time. All of the primary jobs had been done. Um, you know, the land was lying. Um, dormant, waiting for them to put the seeds in, or the spring. Or, yeah. The animals hadn't, you know, there were no newborn lambs or newborn, you know, farm animals for them to worry about. So they only had to feed the animals that they had, feed one another, and it's the perfect time to. And they, it's also a time of everything. You know, the nights are very long and the days are very short, mm-hmm. and. For a society that was much more in tune with the environment, it would be more concerning that they wanted to know when to start planting, when to, you know, would the sun come back? Would the Mm -hmm. earth renew itself? Would the crops, you know, should we plant the seeds now? And the legacy of it, of course, is in the Christian world, our main festival of the year sits right on top of the solstice. We call it Christmas, but it basically sits right atop the midwinter solstice. Mm-hmm. And it, it, they've demonstrated that it's a legacy of this old hangover of a time of change, a time of yeah. renewal. And in when, the summer, yeah. they were simply too busy. You know, they, exactly. they had lots of crops. They had to get the weeds out. They had to keep, you know, stray animals out off, off the land. They had to stop predators yeah. eating the sheep. 
I saw this fascinating, fascinating documentary on. Uh, uh, now I, I forget the period. I'm not sure. If, I think it was might have been Victorian England or it might be before. I don't know. But in, in in those days, Christmas, the the party days before Christmas were days of fast and thing. Otherwise, they uh, they didn't. Uh, eat a lot. They didn't do a lot. And then when they had Christmas, which is the equinox, like you said, they had their big celebration. And uh, in fact, it was one thing. They would actually put the holly through the, uh, decorate the spinning wheels and stuff so that people couldn't work at all. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's even, we go back to the Tudor period. Maybe it's Tudor. Maybe Tudor. I'm not, I'm not we, sure of the period. Our, our Christmas celebration nowadays in the 22nd 21st century is actually quite pathetic compared to how it was in the oh, yeah. middle ages uh you know even as late as uh the the period of well after the beheading of charles the first and the puritans abolished christmas it was never quite the same afterwards um but up and up until the time of the the Puritans, and the reason one mm-hmm. of the reasons Cromwell banned Christmas is because it went on for twelve days and twelve yeah. after, nights after Christmas, actually. Exactly, it starts on it starts basically on the solstice mm-hmm. um, and runs right the way through the New Year into well into you know into early January, and gets bigger and bigger and bigger, culminating with Twelfth Night the 6th mm-hmm. of January, where the biggest feasts and celebrations were. And when you look at the at a Tudor Christmas, and I watched a documentary on television. Uh, it was I three bet part. you watched the same one. Uh, Lucy. Uh, it was yes, of course, yeah. Lucy. She's awesome, isn't she? Yeah. <laughs> Dressing up. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, the programme shows a, a, a different Christmas, a Christmas that, that you know, we we should we we go home on Christmas Eve. We have one family day, and then we're all down the shops on 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 the twenty sixth of yeah, December, yeah. spending vouchers and and whatever else. You know, and Christmas now is a very poor reflection on what it used to be. Uh, you know, three four hundred years ago, where it was a major major part of the year, something that as yeah. you say. They fasted and they skimped and they saved food. Um, they prepared pies and puddings, and and the and the the head landowners and everything, of course, would always uh, you know yeah. give the yeah that was yeah. great. Well, we should save this show for Christmas and we can go into it yeah. even but, better. You know, to afford yeah. to afford that that celebration, that vast mm-hmm. sort of celebration, as you said at the start, you know, they did skimp and save all of their food and um and you know for you know 30 40 days in advance yeah that's otherwise amazing otherwise they wouldn't have had anything to celebrate with so i want to go back to what we originally started with and that was time and 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 we got into a little bit about apparitions and we kind of strayed again i blame myself on that but anyways is there I mean, has there there been any research whatsoever as to the actual time that's the the not the average I guess you could say the average time that spirits are seen? Is there is there a a uh, a sweet spot in, in the well, night? Well, you know, if you look back at the mythology 
and the stories mm-hmm. and, the, and the accounts. You, let's go back to our famous one that we drag up every now and again, Athenodorus, the first oh, one yes. properly the written. Bruce center. <laughs> now, remember, um, he took rent of the, the house in Athens back in mm-hmm. the first century BC uh, because he discovered it was haunted and nobody would live there. And so he was intrigued enough and he rented the property. Now, his apparition appears at night. And if you look at the other accounts uh, within the Greek literature relating to ghosts of the appearance of spirits, and there's even, you know, mention of them in the Bible, they are always nocturnal creatures. Ghosts are nocturnal. They are creatures of the night. They, uh, the, these apparitions appear when we are, you know, when the world is dark and we are supposed to be sleeping or resting or doing something. Think about Dickens. You know, he, he works um, uh, in in Christmas Carol. Think mm-hmm. about you know Dickens in in the haunted the haunted man the ghost. But um, these all appear at nights. And so, when you look at the literature, when you look at the accounts, some of them are anecdotal, some of them are fictional. But the the phantoms always appear at night. When you look at the the case accounts. Uh, forget the fact that ghost hunters look at night because it's dark and it's a bit spooky. Yeah, yeah, and they shut all lights off. Yada, yada, yada. But, you know, ghosts, have, you know, there are apparition sightings by day. There are apparition sightings by night. But the majority of reports are by night. And now, if, you would talk to a medium, before, if you would speak to a medium, they would say, well, that's when your mind's the quietest and the, the world is quieter yeah, and so forth, yeah. which is true in, in a sense. Well, it is, but maybe ghosts are nocturnal or maybe, mm-hmm. you know, what I was thinking about after I read the um, thing about the, the, the change in the body clock, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have this uh, since the Industrial Revolution. We don't have this to sleep, wake in the middle of the night, which was which was the the normal way of doing things up until 200 years ago. And around the same time, we have this alteration in the nature of apparitions and ghost reporting. We don't have as many ghosts standing at the foot of the bed pointing or standing, you know, peering down mournfully um, as we used to have. We don't seem to have um, the same type of apparitional experiences that our forefathers were having. Now, I, you know, it was just a, a, a thought that bounced around in my head and, you know, kept me awake. Um, is it the nature of the experience has changed or is it ah. the nature or is it the person having the experience has changed mm-hmm. you know if we're deeply asleep at 3 a.m and not wide awake talking to our friends like we used to do then if we're asleep we're not going to see anything are we but our dream states change you know if you look at dream patterns you know, we, Which we, we will do for another time because we yeah. are running out of time. You know, we, we have deep sleep periods and then we have nearly awake but asleep right. periods. You know, we've we've talked about, uh, you know, uh, sudden, uh, I mean, uh, old hag syndrome or whatever you want to call yeah. it. Uh, and the work of, my, of the Maimonides sleep lab yeah. in New York. But I do want to have, I do have something to share with you, which I was watching a documentary. Well, that's on, nice. Uh, 
on ghost hunting. And this woman had a uh, a uh, laser thermometer, mm-hmm. and they were in this place, and uh, it was dark, of course. And there was an investigator, and the investigator was saying, "Oh, I feel a cold spot. I feel a cold spot." Mm-hmm. And so the the woman uh, with the thermometer points it over there, and and she says, "Oh, yeah, it's cold." And then the, the get this. The investigator starts walking towards him, and as she's walking towards him, she's, oh, my God, it's fluctuating. It's fluctuating. Uh, <laughs> do you want to guess what that was? <laughs> no. It was bouncing off the guy who was moving towards her. <laughs> well, you know, if you're walking and waving a laser thermometer around, um, you know, there's, a whole, there's a whole chapter dedicated to the problems with thermometers in ghostology. Oh, check it out. Ghost uh, at your local uh, ghost store, yeah, Amazon or yeah, where else. Yeah. We do have to wrap uh, it up because there was the thing. Anyways, you're listening to Ghost. You have been listening to Ghost Chronicles at the National Steve Parsons and Ron Kolick right here on Toji. Unless you play the podcast backwards. And then it says John is dead. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyways, stay tuned for Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with my special guest, Bala Ventura. So uh, tune in next week. Thank you. Good night. God bless. Good night. Good morning. God bless. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.